Welcome back to the NBA Recap Show. I'm Alexander J. I'm joined by Yuri Bilsic and Tom Dev. Yuri, how are you this afternoon? Great, Alex, and fantastic as always to come on and have a chat with you. The FIBA World Cup, which is in full swing, and a bit of NBA news floating about too. Still got to wait, what, just under a couple more months before the regular season begins, and can't wait to dissect it all with you. And Tom, I haven't really spoken to you all week. How are you? What's life in the life of Tom Dev? Oh, yeah, not too bad, you know, just just celebrating James Harden's birthday. So, <laughs> so, if, if anyone hasn't seen it, Philadelphia 76 has put out a tweet saying happy birthday to him earlier today. And oh, uh, no. it's, it's great. It's just great content. Oh, I haven't seen that at all. <laughs> what are you doing, Sixers? Look, uh, that's a really good excuse to jump in. Uh, today's show will be maybe two minutes on the NBA at the top of the show. And then it's all uh, FIBA World Cup stuff. We're two days into the FIBA World Cup. Australia play again. Probably by the time you're hearing this, they would have played Germany. Uh, but we'll get into all of the results across day one and two, a deep dive into Australia versus Finland and some other stuff that pops up along the way. Guys, you ready? Ready to go. Cool, I've got two stories from the NBA this week. So if you've got one more, please shout out. PJ Washington has signed a three-year, $48 million deal to stay in Charlotte. That's it. I've got no more thoughts on PJ Washington staying in Charlotte. So anyone, please take over. Yeah, for sure, Alex. I think last season when Miles Bridges, of course, served that whole season suspension for an instant away from the court, I think PJ really flourished in his role as a power forward. And I think we saw various times during the regular season he was able to play to five when the Hornets did go small. So I think it's a good thing now with Bridges coming back and they have that flexibility of playing to me that the small forward or power forward positions. And it's probably something that they were dearly lacking at the mm. best of times last season, not having Bridges there and him being basically in calculations for most improved player a couple of seasons before that. So... I think it's good, but at the same time as well, they need probably a turnaround, which is sort of similar to what Steve Clifford was able to do in his very first season all those years back. I think it was 2013-14, right, where they weren't given much hope. They were only given, I think, a 20 to 22 win probability that year, and they <sighs> end up winning about 43 games and finish the seventh spot in the East. So if they can do anything like that, Alex and Tom, then... I don't think, I think it's, it's happening, a, mate. I don't think it's happening. This again, season. yeah, maybe because the Eastern Conference is not as weak as what it used to be before. But it's strange enough to say the least. And I think what they've already got there, even though it's really raw and inexperienced in a way too. And I think defensively is where they get very, they're very susceptible in, and they have been yeah. for the last two to three seasons. Where they, I think where Clifford, I thought heading into the previous season was that he was able to sort of touch up on those finer details. But I think just as the season gradually got by, they just couldn't defend for whatever from the three-point line all the way down to the paint and through the driving lanes and teams were just able to cut them easily through. And I think that's the real worry heading to the season. And again, time will tell, right? Moving on, uh, you might want to talk about this one, Tom. I don't know if you saw the news. Jalen Brown from the Celtics will be the first active NBA player to play in the Big Three. Did you see any of this? The Big Three is that uh, three-on-three league. I think it's run by Ice Cube. Apparently, there's an all-star game this weekend. So, he becomes the first active NBA player to play the Big Three. Thoughts, Tom? Yeah, no, he played He played overnight. I think he scored like nine points. Oh, something. see, there you go. I'm a day behind. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I think what summed it up is there was this tweet. I'm not sure who put it out, um, but said, you know, a left hand won't be examined this hard since OJ Simpson was in trial. Um, which, yeah, you know, if you uh, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So I found that quite funny. Um, 
But look, he looked all right. And look, let's just be optimistic. Let's hope he, he's just on the path to, to greatness next season. All right. We'll move on really quickly. We won't linger on that at all. So FIBA World Cup, if you guys... Um, I'm a bit of a basketball head. There's been no NBA, so I fought, I go straight into the FIBA World Cup and I look through all the teams. But for our listeners out there, if you want a bit of a preview, there's a 12-minute uh, recap on Bebo Bites. That's my daily basketball show. I'll link it in the description if you really want to, but we'll cover everything that happened in day one and day two here. So the FIBA World Cup takes place across three countries, strangely enough. We've got Indonesia, Japan, and the Philippines. Um, Indonesia didn't even qualify, so they got a bunch of games in their own country and they failed to qualify, unfortunately. So day one, Australia beat Finland 98 to 72. We'll come back to that game in a second. Italy beat Angola 81 to 67. Montenegro was led by um, the Bulls, Nikola Vucevic. He had 27 and 10 rebounds over Mexico when they won 91 to 71. Latvia destroyed Lebanon by about 40 points. I'll leave it there. The Dominican Republic, um, they beat the Philippines 87-81. This was a really close game. I watched about 15 minutes of Jordan Clarkson, spark plug for Utah, had 28.7 rebounds, seven assists for the Philippines. Carl Anthony Towns is playing for the Dominican Republic, if you forgot. So um, if you hadn't noticed the last couple of years, there's been a trend of American players when they don't play for America, playing for smaller nations. Um, so Kat had 26 points, 10 rebounds. Germany, the heavyweights beat Japan uh, 81-63. This was a rough game to watch. Both teams shot less than 20% from three. Mo Wagner from Orlando had 25 points for Germany. Um, Lithuania beat Egypt by a lot. Canada surprised France. So I don't know if either of you guys know a lot about both of these teams. This was a major surprise. Uh, 95 to 65, the final score. France were up with a minute left in the first half. Um, but the third quarter went 25 to eight to Canada. Blew it wide open. SGA had 27 and 13. Kelly Olynyk had 18 points. And you're going, geez, what's happening there? Um, I think Evan Fournier had 21 for France. That's everything on day one. We'll talk about that Australia-Finland game in a second. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you. Anything that you want to pull out of that? Do you want to move on? Do you want to get straight to the Australian stuff? I'll, we'll quickly just touch on Canada. I mean, I did say last week I, I thought they might have been a dark horse. And, you know, I've, I've, I've said several things on this podcast and been proven wrong many times. Um <laughs> But, you know, look, they looked good. And SGA, 27 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, 47.4% from the field, 33.3% from three, 8 and 9 from the line, and a plus minus 31 yeah. uh, is insane, especially in a 30-point win. Um, and, you know, like you touched on it, that 25 to 8 third, point, the third quarter was just huge. Um, and so, look, Canada, they've still got a long way to go, but that was the trap game. If they'd lost to France, they would have been in a bit of trouble. They've won that now. They're in a strong position to be top of this group. Um, and, you know, look, every time there's an international tournament, you sort of fall into the trap of that one player who were like, oh, look, they're playing quite well. Um, I think Evan Fournier takes the prize for that. I feel every time he puts on a France uniform, he's just outstanding. I mean, look, he was a negative 21 points, but I don't know. So he was a negative 13 points or something, or something like that in plus minus, but he scored 21 points and, you know, he's always good for France, but I, I wonder if anyone's going to be baited into trading for him. I doubt it. But um, look, SGA is a star. Like we knew that. And um, look, we, we can quickly pivot to the Australian game, but how happy do you have to be for the Thunder having SGA and Josh Giddy as your backcourt for the and next Jack White. decade? And <laughs> Jack White. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yuri, I don't know if you're anything like me. I looked at Canada's uprising and I thought, you know, good team. They've had a couple of bad performances on the international stage the last four years. France always do well. France are the quality side. I just completely forgot SGA is a killer and was top five MVP. For some reason, it didn't make sense to me when I did my power rankings. This was a complete shock to me. Um, thoughts? 
Yeah, I don't know in terms of maybe the differential was a shock, but I don't think it's surprising that Canada won, in all honesty, Alex and Tom. I think the depth that they've already gotten in this FIBA World Cup too with SGA and Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Olynyk and guys have played in the NBA for five-plus seasons now. And I think when you're able to get guys with experience within the top tier, and the NBA is the top tier, if not the best league, then you're going to be every shot of winning it. And I think, again, with France, and when you take away probably Evan Fournier and Rudy Gobert, then it becomes they have less depth in the way. And I think for Canada, they were easily able to attack them after, well, during that second half. And I think sooner or later, I think it just really sort of crumbled down upon France. And that's the big thing, though, right, Alex and Tom, that I think – Everyone expects the USA to win, but the margin for error now, unlike two decades ago, is very slim, where Mm. teams have already had guys that have had NBA experience at their disposal and be able to put that on the world stage representing their country. And then that's what makes it even more closer than what it has ever been before. And I think that's, again, full kudos to Canada to get a big win such as that as well and to potentially finish on top of their group. I think that does go a long way too. And especially, and that's the same thing for the Boomers as well on Friday, right? Getting that big win over Finland because they're also dangerous when you have Laurie Market in there, but they couldn't shoot the ball from downtown after the first quarter, which I think they hit, I think it was something like 50% of their threes early on. And they got them really going and then we were able to close down on them and force them to basically, I that term's disappeared out of my head now, but sort of drive instead of, taking that easy three and closing out on them quicker and sort of just eliminating those three-point attempts. And I think that's what really helped, I think, too. And again, come later on this afternoon against Germany, they're going to have their, present their same set of problems as well. Dennis Schroeder there, Mo Wagner, Daniel Tice, another stretch five who's had tons of NBA experience as well with the Boston Celtics mainly. So it's another good challenge too. And I think Brian Gorgian has been harping on this right before even the tournament began as well, that they're every chance as long as they play defense. And with the depth that the Boomers have had and have been building for the last six years, you can say six, seven years, then why not be every chance? And I think it's a great start what they're able to do on Friday. France could be in a bit of strife here. Latvia had a big win over Lebanon in that group stage as well. So if they drop one more game, they're almost certainly out, which would be, a big loss. I mean, they've had a head coach there for 14 years in Vincent Collier, I think. Um, I was just – I thought they'd be a defensive forward team thinking, okay, they've got Rudy Gobert, they've got real no scorers. That's the problem. They've got real no scorers. When you've got Nando DiColo as a starting guard, then, you know, that's a bit of an issue on an international stage against – I was going to say Dylan Brooks. I should have started with SGA. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it on the broadcast either. I haven't seen this anywhere online, but it sounded like the whole crowd was booing Dylan Brooks every time he got the ball, which I love to see that generational level of hate on an international stage. Um, look, SGA, um, honestly, if Canada go far, it's him and Luca uh, between the highest of the highest. Anthony Edwards had 14 points in the USA game. We'll touch on it in a second, but... We'll move right along to the Australia game because I think this was a really good demonstration of where Australia are at the moment in this Boomer squad. Um, if you didn't watch the game, Australia kind of looked like it was very difficult for them to score in the first half. Um, the score ended up being, let me scroll on my document right back up. What was the score you got at the top? 98-72. That's right. It was 41-40 to 40 with a minute left in that first half. 
and Australia really looked like they were struggled. Paddy Mills had hit a couple late um, bombs in that first half. And you go, okay, Mills is starting to heat up, but we really struggled to get a pace, to get passes. That second half, we turned it on. We went 53 and 32 in that second half. We forced 19 turnovers uh, for Finland, and we had 12 steals. We were so active in the lane. We had hands everywhere. That length was really disrupting Finland. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you. Where you want. You can choose where you want to start with this game, mate. This isn't class. You don't have to pick something. Go wherever you want. Look, I, you just can't go past Josh Giddy. Um, and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna say gonna bring up uh, he who shall not be named, but uh this is oh. what we thought Ben Simmons was gonna be. <laughs> yeah. This this is the guy that we thought Ben Simmons was gonna be for the nation. And you know, I mean Giddy had fourteen points, nine rebounds, eight assists, forty percent from the field, six out of seven free throws. And, you know, I just remember, what, 2015, 16, 16, when Ben Simmons was drafted number one. Everyone's like, oh, this is this is the next LeBron. He's going to be one of the greatest Australian athletes ever. And, you know, they were bloody building him a shrine before he even um, before he even took the court. And, you know, what a letdown he's been. And it's a shame. And, look, I'm a known 76ers hater. And I was like, ben Simmons. Yeah, no bias here at all. No bias at all, but... I was off Ben Simmons from the get-go. I, I went against my nation, but I was off Ben Simmons. So when Australia finally came around to realize that he's not very good, I was kind of glad. But Giddy is is this guy, and he's going to lead us, hopefully, to a silver medal potentially at some stage in his career because we've never done that. And, you know, we got close last year, last two years ago in the Olympics, and hopefully this is the guy. But, yeah, God, how can you not love Josh Giddy? He was better than that stat line too. So you, you mentioned 14, 9, and 8. Um, he was patient. He was active, long hands everywhere. Every time he took a, a fall to the ground, he'd brush his hair back before his back would hit the hardwood. I'm falling in love all over again. Um, I'm not ready to call him Australia's saver, especially when Paddy Mills had 25 points. But this was... I'm not saying it was a giddy masterclass, but you could see how the team was set up with Giddy at the helm and no longer Paddy Mills has to be that point guard distributing. Um, well, you're, yeah, I mean, go, Mills, go sorry, Mills only had two assists. Exactly. Which, you know, is rare if in this Australian team. Yeah, he's almost playing the shooting guard role, which is not a natural position for him, but he's capable of doing, strangely enough, at age 35. Yuri, uh, pick something else from this game to talk about. Yeah, I think also the three-point shooting touched on a couple of minutes ago too, and something we defended the three-point line exceptionally well after well. that first quarter where Finland basically shot 50% from deep. And, and That's where that length uh, of the Australian team yeah. comes through. We're a very long side. Absolutely, and unlike in previous years past where I think our depth was probably, you could say a bit shallow in the way too, the depth we have off our bench is tremendous now. And I think that's what's going to really set the precedent, I think, for the remainder of this tournament as well, that we're able to... As many other teams can do, Alex and Tom, and we spoke about with the NBA now for the last handful of seasons where teams are able to switch. That's what we've got exceptionally well. We've got big, versatile guys like Nick Kay that can switch onto guards and defend with their feet as well, move their feet at the same time and stay in front of their defender. So, again, we've also got those other options with having smaller and bigger lineups at the same time, and that is a luxury to have when you have you can play Jupp Reith and even though he's not going to play super heavy minutes when it comes against some of those classier sides as well even the USA even though they're playing Jaron Jackson Jr. as their starting center they can also go big too so that's something a little bit later on down the path maybe perhaps in this tournament if we do go up against the USA that it could well work and I think the big part too as well, defending the pace as well. That was a big must against Finland as well. Laurie Markin in there, even though Markin was playing the five predominantly for the game. And they've also got options too 
of course, playing him at the 4-3 like we've seen mm. when he was at the Cavaliers for that one season at Utah various times with him, Kelly Olenek or Walker Kessler at the 4-5 spot. But again, I definitely look at this game as a big tick in the box in a way we are able to restructure as well and the rebounding count as well is something we've got a lot better at too. And just that's where that length helps everywhere. Yeah. Like we are kind of lucky that we've got these versatile positions everywhere where we've got a few guys that can play the five and a pinch, like Nick K, even though he's a six nine guy. Um, I wanted to talk about Joe Reith for a second. He played 20 minutes, um, shot four from four, eight points, five rebounds, two blocks, played his role perfectly. I think the test against Germany tonight will be a big one for him because Daniel Tice, obviously, in the starting lineup, you've got big bodies like the Wagner brothers. Um, I thought he did a great job. He's probably in that role now without Jock Landale, if you missed it, Jock Landale's out for the World Cup with an ankle injury, uh, where Jock found himself in, I think it was in the last World Cup, or maybe I'm misremembering, where he was thrust into that centre position um, with the Aaron Baines injury. Maybe this is the the Olympics prior to the last one, um, and then found himself with an NBA contract because he played himself into form like that. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Joe Reith in NBA consideration next year, um, maybe in a more limited role than Jock Landale, but I thought he was quite good. Um, I don't want to move straight on to Patty and gloss over Joe Opreith. So if you want to talk about Joe for a minute, go ahead, but I'm ready to talk about Patty. I think it's a big part too, right, Alex, is that we've got that lob threat as well, like what the Boomers had before with Andrew Bogart when yep. he was representing. And there's something else, I think, within the offensive set that the Boomers are able to utilise. And I think it's such a great thing too because we've seen already, even the practice games in the lead-up to the Finland game on Friday, we've the giddy wreath combination and that picked apart defences to an absolute T. And that is an absolute extraordinary weapon to have when you've got a big athletic guy that can just basically catch lobs and flush it in with both hands without any pressure whatsoever because that's the creation and also at the same time the pressure that Josh Giddy does put on opposition defences as well. When he's able to push down, push the pace in transition and able to lob it up or kick it out to, say, Paddy Mills or Joe mm-hmm. Ingles on those corner threes. And that's where the real dimensions of the boomer side have become as well. Guys that can sink the three at 37 38%. Guys that can roam the paint and get through for easy driving lanes. Got big guys that can face up and post up down low. It's all the different offensive skill sets that is very much an important precedent as to why the boomers are such a dangerous threat, I think. Um, Tom, do you love Paddy Mills as much as I do? Over the back of my shoulder, we talked before we got online, there's a San Antonio Paddy Mills jersey. Um, do you love the 35-year-old as much as I do? I do. I mean, after that Olympics, I was hoping he'd sign in Boston and he went to Brooklyn, which, yeah. uh, you know, karma didn't pay off for him there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we just you woke up him. and chose violence this morning. Uh, <laughs> I did, I did, I did. I mean, look, we just swept him four zip in the playoffs, no biggie. Um, but yeah, look, I, he's probably Australia's greatest ever basketball player at the moment. You ha- I, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong for it. I'm just saying you got to throw in Andrew Gaze and Andrew Bogut, but I'm not saying you're yeah. wrong. Yeah, he's up. He's definitely up there, and I mean, he's at least got the NBA championship as well um, as Bogut and Gaze. So it's not like he lacks in that department. And I mean. Neither of them got us a medal at the Olympics. So, um, but look, yeah, you just, you love him. And I really hope that after this World Cup, you know, wherever he does end up in the NBA, they actually give him a run and let him sort of run maybe a second unit offense, uh, opposed to just sitting on the bench and 
dealing with drama like he has for the last couple of years in Brooklyn. And that's probably the problem he's at at the moment because he's ended up in the roster at Atlanta and Yuri, I think you've brought up, they've got a young, talented side in Atlanta where Paddy Mills might struggle for minutes. Is that where you wanted to run with that? Yeah, I just want to touch on a bit with this. Do you know where I think the best place would be? And I think within the culture of the four walls, and we already know who this side is, the Denver Nuggets. That's exactly where I'd see him with the fit with Coach Michael Malone, Jamal Murray. He can back up Murray off the bench. It's almost they've basically got already the glue that we've already seen in terms of stable point guards. And during it since ever since Michael Malone has been there, they've always had a reliable backup point guard. Monte Morris, for example, right when Murray went down the ACL, Monte played the point in the entirety of the 2021-22 season and had arguably one of the best assist-to-turnover ratios apart from Tyus Jones. So I think that's a, it's an interesting I think one. definitely where I'd see him heading and I think just the fit would be great. Tom, do you want him on the Celtics? He's 35, fair play to Patty. He's had a good run. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind him, but to be honest with you, I think the team that uh, he'd actually be quite good on uh, is the team that he did beat in finals, the Miami Heat. I reckon... Just as a shooter, instead of – I think he's past the ball handling stage as he's been on this Australian team. I reckon he's still a good shooter. And I reckon on that Miami team, they lost all those role players after the playoffs because they all got big contracts, rightfully so. I reckon he'd just slot in nicely and, you know, he'll probably be one of those guys that hits six out of seven threes in the playoffs against myself. <laughs> he, so. t- he totally would too. You can see it happening. There was a, a really funny moment for me. I was watching the um, the Finland game on about a 10-minute delay and Paddy didn't start really well. He finished the half five of 10, but I think he might have been three of eight at one point. And I texted a buddy saying, oh, Paddy's got me worried. Text me back immediately saying, what are you talking about? He's just hit two bombs. It's like, oh, my stream's on delay. Whoops. (laughs) After that moment, I I was momentarily a little bit worried after his play in the warm-up games, and he didn't start the game too hot. But um, Dante Exum, 10 points for him. Joe Ingles had 13 points, had a a bit of a fiery moment on the bench. Yuri, you want to talk about either of those guys quickly? Yeah, you just touched on it perfectly, Alex. And that was about what happened with the slippery court. and. He took umbrage that, and rightly so too. You can't have slippery courts where players are hurting their elbows as he did. He was yelling at the referees, if you're not sure. He'd come off with a a cut on his elbow after falling and just abused. It looked like some official, but really was quite angry about it. Yeah, because it's dangerous, right? And that's why there are those cleaners, no matter whether it's in the European League, in the NBL, in the NBA as well, there's always someone there just to clean, just a little bit of dew or sweat on the court so no one sustains a serious injury. And I think that's where practices, you've got to get spot on. You can't shy away from that and you make sure everything is right on the money because if a player does his ankle or something or does his sprains and knee, then mm. whose fault does that lie on to? It lies on to, unfortunately, probably the the cleaner of the court as well that's behind the basket. So that's, mm. the I think, the issue of concern and hopefully we don't see that ever again because that's where I think we see so much of that pressure at the same time where in terms of all the sweat that's coming out but also when the player is just about to enter the free throw line, right, you just see the ball boil just quickly scrubbing out that middle part just to make sure that there's no – slipperiness on the surface. So that was a real issue of concern and one we don't want to see in the way. 
All right, Finland, Laura Markin had had 19.8 rebounds, Salen Sassu 13, and Olivier Camhow had two massive blocks in a couple of minutes, but no one else really showed up, especially in that second half. Moving on to the day two recaps of the FIBA World Cup, um, Georgia beat Cape Verde 85-60. to 60. Do either of you know where the country of Cape Verde is? Oh, not out of the top of my head, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. I'm quite a, a man of the world, and I've never heard of Cape Verde until earlier this week. I think it's off the west coast of Africa somewhere, a uh, tiny little island nation. But go Cape Verde, uh, sticking it to them. Is it like Madagascar? On the complete opposite side of the country, mate. Um, <laughs> you're not even close. So my dark horse for making it out of the group stages was South Sudan. Um, debut FIBA World Cup. They're a young nation. They've got two NBA players in Wenyan Gabriel and Kylik Jones. Um, they pushed Puerto Rico to overtime. I don't know if you guys saw the highlights. It ended up being Puerto Rico 101, uh, South Sudan 96. But Carly Jones had either 35 or 38, I can't remember, but had a big three with 10 seconds left to tie it up. Puerto Rico get a foul, go down the other end, have two chances to win the game and miss them both. Like this was a real tense athletic game. Um, go watch the highlights if you haven't, because this South Sudan side um, is a lot better than they're ranked. Um, Greece beat Jordan 92 to 71. That Greece team doesn't have Giannis. We'll come back to that in a second. Brazil beat Iran 100 to 59, but they lost their point guard, um, Raul Neto, he tore his patilla tendon, I think, um, in the third quarter. So big blow to Brazil. Um, Luca was just unreal. 37 points in 30 minutes. Um, Slovenia beating Venezuela 185. Serbia beat China. I've put in my notes 105 to 633. So obviously that's wrong, but Serbia won that game. Uh, Spain beat Ivory Coast by 30. Will and um, let's not even talk about that game. And then finally, USA beat the Tall Blacks in New Zealand, 99-72. to 72. Do you want to talk about that USA game, Tom? Do you see any of the highlights? Yeah, no. So I started watching it late last night um, while I was at a friend's place. And look, you have to say, USA, it's definitely not a star-studded team that they could have brought over because no one really comes to the World Cup anymore. But look, they're very even. There's not really any egos on this team. And I mean, that's six players in double figures. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bancaro scored 21 points, 80%, two from two from three, uh, four blocks as well, which I think is just incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, just sorry, I'll let you keep going, but I think he had a career highlight in this game too. Um, he had a blackboard pin like right at the end of the fourth quarter, I think it was. Sounded like a gunshot the size of that block. Come back down the other way, had a spin, 10-foot fadeaway to make it. And I went, geez, I haven't watched a lot of Bancaro play, but that's exciting for Orlando. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you have to say Magic so far has nailed that draft pick because there was a lot of discussion. Should they go with Chet or yeah. um, Jabari or Paolo? And it really went down to the wire and they seem to have done the right thing mm. so far. Um, and, you know, I mean, there was quite a few years there where the number one pick was, you know, not really living up to any of the hype. And then last few years, it's really, you know, they have done well straight away. So I look forward to watching him next season. And look, although Anthony Edwards was quite uh, on the scoring front, I mean, he just looks to be the guy. He's not afraid to take this on. And, you know, he's only 22. It's, that's insane. I mean, I'm older than him. Like, you know. I'm a decade older than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's insane. And it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, I look forward to seeing if he can take the leap next season. And I think the Timberwolves will officially just go, sorry, Cat, you've had your chance. This is now Ant's team 100%. Um, and, look, I thought at the time watching last night, I thought, hmm, could, could Anthony Edwards creep into a top 10 player during the year. And then doing my notes today, I wrote down a list of just players and he'll have to have a monster season to crack into that because it, I don't know if you've ever done that exercise, but writing out the top 10 is just impossible, but it's deep. It's insane. So I don't think he'll get to that stage yet, but 
I want to see him take a leap, and I will be watching a lot more Minnesota games next year, that's for sure. And Orlando Magic too now. Yeah, especially with the Wagner brothers as well. Um, New Zealand stuck with him for most of the first half. I want to shout out Ruben Torangi. He had 15 points. Um, if you don't remember, for the Australian listeners, he was the most improved and sixth man of the year back in 2019. So I thought he had a fairly good game. Yuri, you're giving me a hand up. Do you want to talk about Ruben Torangi or someone else from the American oh, squad? Yeah, with the tall blacks, Alex, they've got a lot of guys that have NBO experience. There's Shay Ely, who's arguably one of the best defenders in the league for Melbourne United, Ruben Tarangi, you mentioned as well for Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. He's also another exceptional defender and can play either shooting guard or small forward. And Isaiah Lee Arthur, too, the pesky point guard, he's also, he can put up points in a hurry. So it's not as though the tall blacks have minimal experience. They're not guys that have been in the NBL for a number of seasons. And again, to see probably the differential in the scoreboard was probably telling, mm. but. I think, it, again, it's only one game and for them to hopefully put that aside and focus on the remainder of their group and get a win on the board or two. Because I think, imagine if Tom Abercrombie was playing for the Tall Blacks and he's arguably New Zealand's greatest ever basketball player, Alex. Mm. That That's where they've got the experience now with, of course, the exposure to the NBL and having the New Zealand breakers there for a long period of time that puts him in the conversation, maybe not to win the FIBA World Cup, but to give it a good shake at best. And although that first quarter was pretty close, I think it was 19-18 or something yeah, after the first period. Yep. But again, that's where USA's three-point shooting, even though they only took 18 three-point attempts and they made eight of those, it's just how they're able to push in transition as well, how, how they're able to get those mismatches and the ball movement, which just... I think caused the tall black so many problems and that's where I think we've seen in Olympics gone by, right, in Beijing and in London and also in Rio back in 2016 too that you can close within four or five points of USA and all of a sudden they'll just hit a couple of threes and it just blows yeah. the game out and that's where teams are just like, okay, we've just got as close as we, we thought we were doing can. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we thought we were doing well and then all of a sudden the, they go on a 10-0 run. So that's exactly the same feeling that the Tall Bucks felt yesterday. All right, Tom, we hit half an hour on the FIBA World Cup. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to Yuri? I know you're itching to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo, but No, I reckon let's let Yuri have the floor and I'll uh, definitely have a few comments on that. So All right, Yuri, go ahead. Giannis. Yeah, let's hit it up. Okay, so a couple of days ago, he did an interview with the New York Times about his future Milwaukee. And of course, at the end of the 2018-19 season, after their playoffs concluded in the Eastern Conference Finals, which they lost to the Toronto Raptors in six games. And I will not name this reporter who asked Giannis about his future in Milwaukee and wrote a piece on ESPN saying that if the Rap- if the Bucks lost, which they did, he would be out of Milwaukee. No, he did. No, he wasn't. He signed a five-year, $228 million extension and only a couple of seasons later brought home Milwaukee's first championship in 50 years. So now fast forward to this offseason. He does the interview with the New York Times and he gets asked about his future in Milwaukee. He's already, he's already won a championship and he says, I'd like to win one more. I don't want to be on a team. You can perceive it in any way or interpret it for the next 20 years without winning a championship. What you can almost put in context is that what the front office needs to do is to build players around him or maintain them so that everyone's on the same page to ultimately go for 
the franchise's third championship and that he doesn't want to waste any more mm. of the potential that we've seen in the last couple of seasons, right? Well, we can exclude probably the 22 playoffs because Chris Middleton got hurt and they got eliminated by Boston Celtics in that seventh and deciding game in the Eastern Conference semifinals. But last year was an absolute shock for not only the organization, but for fans of the league, considering that Miami were, at the time, the only number eight seed since the Philadelphia 76ers, and it has been a decade since the number eight seed beat a top seed in the first round of the playoffs. And of course, the Memphis Grizzlies did that to the San Antonio Spurs a playoff before that. So when you put everything into context as well, it's basically we've got to take this season as seriously as possible because there have been at times with the Bucks where they'll get off to a rollicking start, right? They'll be, say, 14, 15 games above 500. They'll just hit a little bit of a low patch. It's not drastic, but it'll be, say, they'll lose four of six or five of eight, and then all of a sudden there'll be a bit of a reassessing on where the Bucks sit. But at the same time, this is something that they have done extremely well for the last five, six seasons, that they'll be at a point, say, 45, 50 games in, they'll be the number four seed, and then just find that late patch of form to finish second or third, or if not, top of the Eastern Conference. But it's when it comes to the playoffs where they're arguably one of the best rebounding sides in the league, apart from the Memphis Grizzlies, that for... This is the other part, I think, is at various stages in crunch time situations where their offense does go a bit into an isolation and they don't quite get the ball moving side to side and mm. it just sticks on one player's hand. I think that's another part you've got to look at as well too within the whole scope of this as well. But at the same time, just another factor on terms of having everyone healthy too. That's my observation behind all of Giannis's comments as well. And and that's why I had to bring up that other piece as well from four years ago because he was never leaving Milwaukee at that time, right? It was unfinished business at that point when you're so close to reaching the NBA finals. And they're basically in the same position back then as what they were in 2001 when they lost their 76ers in seven games and should have been in the finals that year. Tom, anything extra to add? Yeah, look, I don't think he's going to leave. I think he's so loyal. And I don't know if you guys have read the biography by uh, Mirren Fader, but great book. Um, and it, it goes into his details of how family-orientated he is and how loyal he is. And it'd be a shock if he was to turn around and leave this Bucks team. But at the same time, he's going to be 29 at the end of this year. The Bucks are an aging team. I mean, Lopez is quite old. Middleton, um, Holiday, they're all getting on. They're all past 30. Um, Lopez has had injury issues in the past, although he seems to be fine the last couple of years. Middleton just constantly is getting injured Starting these days. Starting to break down, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they're all, they've all got new contracts except for Holiday. Um, I don't know. Everyone knows one ring's not enough. Like, Giannis... Career over under for rings is probably two and a half, you'd think, at this stage. I, I, I could definitely see him getting four rings like Steph Curry. And, you know, I mean, since I brought up Steph Curry, I didn't think he was going to get a fourth ring after Durant left, and he did. So, for all we know, the Bucks are going to walk in next season and be the best team again, and they'll storm through the East. But they just got to get a team around him. They've got to keep building around him, and they just got to make sure he's happy. Otherwise, who knows? But 
I, the thing with the NBA is this landscape changes so often because I've just Googled him quickly just to double-check his age, and there's already, oh, he could be traded to the Golden State. He could be traded um, to the Heat, or he could be traded to the Thunder. And, like, in five years' time, who knows? Like, those teams are going to be different. So in two years' time, they could be different. Hell, in a month's time, Harden and Lillard could be on completely different teams and change the landscape. So I think we just got to wait the season. And it's, you know, maybe he's just posturing to the front office. We'll do a little bit more movement. but. I'm not worried. And uh, you know, as a Bucks fan, you're, you didn't seem too worried either. So, Oh, not at all. And you touched on perfectly, Tom, about his loyalty. You look at guys like Kobe Bryant and Dirk Nowitzki, and the only two guys to have played two decades in the same franchise, right? And just doing this calculations out of the top of my head, this will be, I think, his 11th season now heading into the league, which is incredible, right? For a guy that first came in, he was – Basically, you can say skin and bones, we'll use that term, like Kevin Garnett when he was drafted in 1995 and has gradually become the face of the franchise, like what they had all those years going away with Glenn Big Dog Robinson and Ray Allen and Sam Cassell at the time when the Bucks, at that period alone in, say, 2000-2001, arguably was the best season. And that's where they've got to again because with small market teams and Boston isn't a small market team by no means whatsoever. But when you have the majority of NBA sides that are small markets, you want to retain them. And that's the big part of building the culture within not only just the team, but also front office too. And that's something I think since when John Horse, I think, took over in I think it was 2017 or 2018, around that period of time, that he wanted to establish yet again. And I think with Mark Lazary on board at the time, I think he's now gone. So they've done everything right at this point. And this is the big part as well where I think where players, that when they want to, say, depart and put their hat up for free agency, and we've seen now James Harden, he wants to go to the LA Clippers, right? And I think when you look at that, it's probably, it's not going to work anyway. And it didn't work because the 76ers weren't, didn't really approve of what the Clippers had to offer. But going back to Giannis and his whole DNA of loyalty, it was pretty much, again, you outlined this, Tom, it was why he was brought up in in Greece because they had nothing. Him growing up in his brothers, Thanasis and Costas, they had to pretty much fight for everything and they were pretty much hustling all the way to getting to their NBA dreams. I think Giannis recollected this in one practice where he basically had to sleep inside the basketball gym because him and his two brothers and I think his parents as well didn't have Greek citizenship and you can't get it until you turn 18. So it's an incredible story yet again. I think that's where it has translated to his loyalty. He's already done it for not only his parents and give, giving them everything that they want, but he's also done to the Bucks as well for a champion for a team that we talked about they hadn't won a championship until 2021 for the first time in five decades. So I think that's where the correlations are between Giannis and loyalty, not only to himself, not only to his teammates, but to a franchise as a whole. And him and Chris Middleton have been on on the same journey together since 2013. So you look at that as well, and I definitely don't see them splitting for any time soon. And that's where I think the whole deep bond of loyalty comes together in a way. That seems like a fair place to leave today's episode. There's not much more to talk about in the NBA. I mean, there's not even been any um, Damian Lillard chatter this week. So hopefully 
By this time next week, we're talking about Australia moving past the group stage in the World Cup. And we're talking about, please, God, let Damian Lillard go somewhere. I'm, I don't want to use the term blue ball, but I want something to happen. <laughs> I oh, need Alex. something to happen. Alex, have you seen the win predictions that ESPN put out for both the East and Western Conference? Uh, I've seen some of them, but I'm not sure where you're getting at. Are you talking about the uh, the Trailblazers specifically? No, no. So for the 2023-24 season, so they've got yep. Boston winning 55 games, finishing mm-hmm. on top of the East. They got Milwaukee finishing second with 54. I think Miami's third, or Cleveland's oh, I... third. I th- they got they got Cleveland with 50 wins this season. Cleveland 50 is interesting. I don't know. If... Look, this would be a lot yeah. to talk about next week. This is content I'm saving up now. I'm not giving you it for free. Oh, hey, well, just did a bit of diving into, I think, yesterday, just looking at the win-loss records, and they've got Golden State finishing third with 47 wins. All right, well, let's talk about that next week. We'll talk about the FIBA World Cup, and we can dive into either the West or the East and the uh, predictions because that's always fun. I do that at the start of every season. Yuri, thank you very much for joining me. Tom, thank you very much for joining me. Have you done either of you anything uh, written articles this week? I know you're both big AFL heads so we're at the right end of the AFL season. Yes, so did talking points, five talking points again for AFL Round 23, which is up on my sub stack. And also you can find my work on LinkedIn as well because I pretty much post everything there. Did a couple of podcast episodes as well. So one I did with one of my other mates as well. We just basically previewed Round 23 and gave our quick tips for Round 24. And I did a solo episode too for the Mojo Sports AFL Network, which you can find, which runs for roughly 39 minutes. So that's all up there. And hopefully aiming to have a piece, which I did an interview on Thursday morning with one of the Waffle Club CEOs. Great chat too. And he's highly eloquently spoken and he's going gone to bigger and better things. Tom, what have you had going on this week? Yeah, no, I did an article uh, about how the AFL should uh, take a page out of the NBA's book have a bit of a draft lottery after uh, the bottom place team inexplicably won last uh, Sunday while we were recording. But then uh, the team that potentially would have gotten the number one pick in the next big thing in the draft uh, inexplicably won yesterday and gave away the number one pick. So that article is still, still valid, but yeah, I, tanking's not alive. You know, everyone tanked for Wemby in the NBA. No one's tanking for Harley Reid in the AFL. So, you know, who knows these days? God. And if you want more basketball content, I have a daily show for the FIBA World Cup, B-Ball Bites. Um, guys, let's leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Check out everything else we've got going on on the Mojo Sports Network. The Women in League episode's been really good. Um, they interviewed Jamie Seward for 15 minutes, NRL former player. So um, check that out if you haven't. Um, see you next week, guys. Thanks. Cheers, Thanks, Alex. Guys.